This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe and welcome to our circle. Hello, everybody. This is Patricia W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio. It's July 1st. I have no idea how the time is just flying by. But uh, now we're already to July, and it's crazy. Um, So here in the United States, we're about to celebrate Independence Day this weekend. So everybody, please be mindful. Wear sunscreen, wear your masks, wear you can go out, even if you've been vaccinated, um, and wash your hands. That's always a good idea. Just wash your hands. Um, And uh, stay hydrated, of course, because it's been brutally hot in areas of our country that uh, it's normally not so hot. Um, and just go have a relaxing time if you can. And be nice to each other because it's been kind of a crazy year and a half. So um, let's, let's, let's do that. Um, but if you don't plan to go out too much or the weather is not conducive for you to be out and about, um, there is a fantastic set of books that you should be picking up. And it will make you want to book that next trip uh, somewhere. And it's, it's cool because I get to interview someone whose books have been on my shelf for quite a while. And um, it's also National Culinary Arts Month. So why is that why does that tie in? Well, I'll tell you in a second, because I'm getting to talk to Julie Kaplan today, and she is totally addicted to travel and good food. She's an English author of romance books, best known for her uh, Romantic Escape series. Uh, she also writes standalone romance books under the pen name Jules Wake. She's always had a passion for reading and writing books right from her childhood. She's addicted to good food and travel, and when she's on the hunt for, she's always on the hunt for ideal gin and obsessive, obsession picky about tonic garnishes and glasses. She's formerly a PR director for many years. She uh, got to travel around Europe to take in top food and uh, write about all sorts of wonderful things and sampling all sorts of fabulous foods. Um, cities like cities in Italy, France, Belgium, Spain, Copenhagen, and Switzerland. And it was a hard job at Somebody has to tell us how fabulous all these things are. And Julie very willingly took up the cause for that. Her romantic escape series will get you, take you from Brooklyn to Tokyo to Copenhagen and everywhere in between. Her latest book, The Little Swiss Chalet, is out now. And you can find Julie on Facebook, Amazon, Books in Series Order, and BookBub. Welcome to the show, Julie. How are you? I'm brilliant. Thanks, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So I'm a little I just envious. Have to- Oh, oh you're envious because you're saying how wonderful the weather is and how, what a great weekend it's going to be, and it's gray here. We've had too much rain. Oh, well, you know, it's been, like, I'm in San Antonio, and uh, Texas, and so it's supposed to be really nice this weekend, but I know other parts of the country it's just been brutally hot, um, where it's not normally so hot. Um, we're pretty used to having 100 degree plus temperatures um but other parts of the country aren't so we are lucky this weekend because july 4th for us can be like that lead into that whole thing can be just like a horribly brutal just perfect or just like torrential rains i mean you you don't know (laughs) it could be crazy so yeah it's the same it's the same here with holidays you can never guarantee the weather on a holiday never yeah you always have to have plan b ready Yep. <laughs> so tell me, what was it when you were growing up? Um, what was that first time you remember feeling like, I want to see the world? And I mean, like, um, you know, what books inspired you to, to really want to get out and about and travel and see it all? So, 
so I was really, really lucky. My dad was obsessive about it, and he taught me to read at the age of three. Mm-hmm. And that just opened up a whole world of books. And mm-hmm. I became an obsessive reader and would just lose myself in other worlds. I mean, I used to love fantasy then, so Ursula Le Guin, um, but I loved Enid Blyton. I loved the Bobsy Twins, and I also uh-huh. used to go to America because I'd read about these wonderful adventures they had. Um, <laughs> I fell in love with Nancy Drew, um, uh, the Hardy Boys. I mean, I read absolutely everything, um, and I, lo- I loved American fiction particularly. Um, and I wasn't the most adventurous child. I always wanted to curl up in, in the sofa with my um, book rather than go out and uh-huh. do things. I only got more adventurous when I grew up, and uh, I got this amazing job in PR where I had to take food writers all over Europe on these amazing food foodie trips where they got to eat the most incredible food and drink amazing wine. And at the time, I was only 21. It was a little bit wasted on me. Um, but I got wow. to learn to like it all and... Um, yeah, I remember coming back from a trip to um, Italy, which was superb. I'd been sitting drinking 20-year-old Barolo in, the, in this amazing chateau um, and oh coming my. back to my friends, swanning back with bottles of wine. And they said, what have you been doing this week? Oh, wow. I mean, I can't even imagine a more fantastic job to have at the age that age. I mean, I would have it now, and I am definitely not 21 anymore, but I mean, wow, that just sounds yeah. tremendous. Oh, it was fantastic. I got to go to some incredible places, um, and that was for Lavazza Coffee, um, the Italian okay. company. So they were really connected, so we got to go to Cinzano, we went to the um, nobleman's house up in the um, vineyards, we went to a, a Michelin-starred restaurant. We went to a restaurant that, where we had 12 courses just for lunch. Wow. It was absolutely wow. awesome. And, and that's really, those trips inspired my first book in the Romantic Escape series, The Trip to Copenhagen, where my poor yeah. heroine has to take six journalists. <laughs> and um, I relied on quite a lot of experience because I did actually lose a, a journalist at Heathrow Airport before we'd even left the country. Oh, no. Well, Heathrow is quite quite uh, adventurous just to get through. So, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that's, that's definitely uh, easy to do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so a lot, of, a lot of that book was based on personal experience. So when you're going on these journeys, and I'm assuming back when you were going, you weren't necessarily thinking, one day I'm going to write books about this. But, I mean, were you taking notes or were you just tucking away mental notes? Or, I mean, how were you – because a lot of what you've written, you've experienced, like whether it's just the food scene or the, you know, whatever. But were you pulling from those mental notes or did you have you written stuff down? No, because um, when I, I – well – when I first set out, I, I, we decided that I'd write the book set in Copenhagen. My editor actually asked for it to be set in Copenhagen, and I'd never been to Denmark or Scandinavia. Okay. So I actually booked a trip. So it was a specific research trip, and I took loads and loads and loads of photographs of the food, the places we went. So I didn't take any notes while I was there, but I just took hundreds of photos. Yes. And for me, when I look at a photo, because when I'm writing, I'm, I'm a very visual writer, so it unfolds in my head, and I write down what I can see in my head. 
It's like I'm watching yeah. a film, although I'm making the film up. Um, so using photographs is really evocative, and um, that, 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 so that's what I tend to do when I've been on a trip. Now, obviously, um, when I went to Brooklyn, that was a family holiday, and I hadn't even thought about writing a book. But again, I've got lots of photos. But right. I will go back and do some research. I mean, I absolutely adored Brooklyn. We stayed right in the heart of Brooklyn, and it was fantastic. Um, and that was more of a touristy trip. It wasn't a holiday. We did lots of visiting and traveling to places. And again, we took lots and lots of photos. So I had those in my, in, sort of in my bank when I, I decided to set a book there. But if, if possible, I will try to go to a country when I know I'm going to set a book there. Oh, the research Not sounds been... dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> and the great thing is it's tax deductible as well. <laughs> right, right. And you can say, and there it is, right there on the cover of my book. Ta-da! Yep. Yeah. Um, my grandfather's Although, course, parents immigrated from Denmark um, in, the 1918, in 1918. Um, and we have their papers from Ellis Island and all that. So when my grandfather... Uh, I was in college, and my brothers were younger, uh, but they took us to Copenhagen to meet family members that were still around. Um, and I remember trying to learn some Danish before I went because my feeling was, you know, I'm in your country, I'm going to learn some. But I had taken Latin-based languages up to that point. You can't uh. really learn Danish out of a book. <laughs> it's really hard. <laughs> So my cousin said, don't bother. There's only 5 million of us that know Danish, so don't worry. I was like, okay. I'm, I'm a big fan, fan of um, Scandi thrillers. Um, I don't yes. know if you have them in America, but we we have a lot of subtitles. So you'll hear them gaily speaking um, Danish on the screen, and after a while I'm convinced I can understand every word because right. of subtitles. <laughs> so as far as it, I'm it, concerned, I'm fluent in Danish. Yes, of course. So why why did your editor want you to start in Denmark? Why did they start in Copenhagen? Because she's absolutely fanatical about Scandinavian countries. She doesn't do okay. heat. And um, she'd fallen in love with the concept of Hygge, which is spelled Hygge, okay. H-Y-G-G-E. Um, I uh-huh. don't know if you know what it means. It's basically Hygge is all about making time to make things cozy because they have such long, cold, hard winters in Scandinavia. So they yeah. make um, a celebration of taking time to look after themselves so with a nice, curling up with a nice cozy cashmere blanket and a cup of hot chocolate and a nice cake or something. And they just take time out for themselves to celebrate the little things in life. Um, and I just, that was yeah. very much... I was, it was very much in vogue at the time, people talking about it and books about it. And she said, would you write a, a book about and, in, and feature Hugo? And then I started reading up on it and I thought, oh, this all sounds wonderful. Yeah. So that was really the driving force. Yeah, it's, the country's just beautiful. I mean, we had the opportunity to get on a bus tour. We went out to, um, you know, to, it's Elsinore Castle, right? Is that right? It was yeah. years ago, yeah. um, but and you could see Sweden across, um, and it was, yep, a, it was of course the bridge. before. Yeah, before the bridge was ever. I, I'm sure somebody's like, yeah, someone should build a bridge. But at the time, there was just like <laughs> the idea of building one was absurd. Um, but it's it's just really just a beautiful place. I mean, I, we walked around everywhere, the uh, cobblestone streets, and the one thing that I just 
really found interesting was all of the Lego statues that are everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Lego was, you know, created in Denmark. But, I mean, they are everywhere, huge statues. So the really interesting thing about Denmark, apart from how beautiful it is, which I didn't know until I started researching for the book, is that it's, it's been consistently named as the happiest country to live. Yeah, lots and lots yes. of different charts. So there are lots of books about why Denmark is so happy. And the whole philosophy behind that is really, really interesting. And I read a book called The Year of Living Danishly by a lady called Helen Russell. I really recommend okay. it. Basically, her, her husband got a dream job, his dream job working for Lego. So the whole oh, wow. time her husband moved to Denmark and it was supposed to be just for a year because she wasn't okay. sure about this, moving to a whole new country. And it's, and it's basically a book about her life in Denmark for the year. And she talks about this idea of... She was a journalist, so she researches lots of things while she's there. And she talks about this idea of happiness and why the Danes are so happy. Um, and the, the, the way that the society works it is very egalitarian. Um, yeah. It's a really, really interesting book. I really recommend it because it digs under the, the psyche of the Danish... Because it's very easy to go to a country and you see lots of fantastic scenery. But what I try to do in my books is to get under the culture to find out a little bit about how the people really live. Right. Right. So, because they're not all walking that, around looking at tourist job. stuff. Right. They're, yeah. um, they're, they're, they go to work. They, I mean, they do everything everybody else does in any other country, of course. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the general gist when we were there um, was everyone was really laid back. I mean, and I – it, it was just really fun. It was my first time to go to Europe at the time. I was 20, and um, I was really intent on making a good impression because, <laughs> you know, you'd always heard all these awful stories about, you know, Americans traveling, and not all, I mean, obviously, but um, <laughs> very, you know, it's this way. Uh, my French teacher actually told me she had taken her mom to France. She knew her Paris, and she, they were originally from Boston, and her mom's like, just tell him to give, we just get a cup of coffee to go. And, and this was in the 80s. And she's like, Mom, they don't do that here. And she's like, just tell him, just put him in a styrofoam cup, we can walk around. And she's like, Mom, they don't do that here. You know, it's like, that's not, that, this doesn't happen. Um, now, I mean, you see a little bit now, but I mean, still, it's that idea of sitting down and taking your time and, you know, uh, just just enjoying the fact that you're getting to drink this cup of coffee. Um, so, yeah, so I really wanted to make a good impression, and everybody was just really nice. I mean, I probably just didn't meet any terrible people, which, you know, it, there's, there's always in every country. But uh, overall, people were just really super laid back and not worried, and, you know, not in a rush. So um, it, was just, it was just a really cool introduction to traveling, um, especially overseas. So I oh, can see why you wanted, you know, your editor would want to start there. But then, but then you went to Brooklyn after Copenhagen, and that was your family trip, you said. Well, um, so you're talking about Americans abroad. I've always found them absolutely charming. And over the years, <laughs> I've made a really good friend. And she's a professor at F, um, uh, FIT in New York. And she comes over every year and brings um, a group of students for work placements in London. Oh, and lovely. I was working for a company, and we gave one of her students a work placement. And um, as a thank you, she took me out for lunch. Well, that's that's 25 years ago, and um, we've met up every year 
for lunch once a year ever since and she always said if you ever come to the states um come and see me um and she's she's got a place in new york but that which is tiny flats which she couldn't stand but she's got a place out in the hamptons as well yes and um so when we went to new york we we met up for dinner with her and her husband and then we went out to their place in the hamptons so um and my friend roberta is brooklyn brawn and bred so I got lots of insight from her. And I just love the vibe actually in Brooklyn because everybody talks about New York and it's Manhattan they think about. But actually sure. Brooklyn's got so much character and mm-hmm. we absolutely fell in love with it. We really we were in a really nice neighborhood, really lots of interesting shops and restaurants and um, sort of real people lived there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I, I absolutely fell in love with it. So when they said all... I'd, we'd like you to write a series of these um i thought i'm going to set it in brooklyn because i just fell in love with it so much um and you've got that great sort of coffee vibe there um, mm-hmm. so yep that was why brooklyn yeah well and when you go to your research i mean it would be it would be tempting to go to like you're saying the touristy more touristy areas you know like manhattan and fifth avenue and what have you um and it would be it would be easier in a way to do that because that's what people um, are used to seeing. But when you're doing your research, you from, you know, you, it's like you're finding those little nooks and crannies and those tiny little shops and those off the beaten path type places. Do you just kind of wander and, and take pictures or do you sit down and listen and talk to people? I mean, how, what is your process when you're doing this? So I will, I will talk to people. If I can find someone in the area, I'll try mm-hmm. and talk to them. Because when, when you're reading a book and it's set in a place that you've been or you're going to, you want to read about the famous places, but you also want the, 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 the secrets that not everybody else knows about. And it's a kind of, oh, that sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I right. do, I do um, really try to find a balance between the well-known and the, and the secret hideaways. So I will talk, if I, if I can, I'll... I'll talk to people i mean there's so much information on the internet as well i mean all of the countries have the most fantastic tourist websites and magazines and that sort of thing so i'll sort of trawl through those as well to try and find i do try and feature real places where i can so for example copenhagen when i went there um I only had a weekend, um, but my husband had met a girl who'd been there and lived there for a little while, and she gave me a list of places to check out. Oh, Um, nice. So I did actually go to them. And so I think there's one called Duck and Cover, which is a bar which I mentioned in the book, and a restaurant, because I went with a girlfriend, and we visited all those places. So they're described as they really are. Um, And then in Brooklyn, my husband's a real foodie as well. So when we were there, we sort of we we served TripAdvisor to find out the the best places. So we ate out a lot in Brooklyn and found a lot of really interesting restaurants. So I used those as well. Um, yeah. So it's a little bit of on the ground research and, and desk research. It's a real combination. What has been the biggest surprise when you've gone to you know you've gone to Copenhagen to Brooklyn to Paris to Tokyo to Ireland? I mean Ireland's coming up this year, but um, you know you've gone to these different places. What has been the biggest surprise? This is going to sound really um, weird, but going to Ireland was the biggest surprise because it's so like the UK. 
I was expecting it to be very, very Irish and very, very different. Uh-huh. And in a lot of places, when we were driving, it's like, oh, this looks like Wales and this looks like Scotland. Um, uh-huh. Or this looks like part of England. So for me, writing Ireland has been the hardest part because it's so close to home. It's not that different. Apart from yeah. the road signs are all in yellow, where ours are in white and things like that. But I've had to work really hard to find the differences. Um, but I felt very at home there. I mean, have you been to Ireland? I have not had the fortune to be, go to Ireland yet, but it's on my list. Oh, <laughs> it's absolutely beautiful. I completely fell in love with the countryside. Um, and the people are really as friendly as as the portrayals, as the stereotypes and everything. So, But the landscape was very similar to home, especially um, one, of the, one of the features, which probably doesn't mean anything to you. But to me, I grew up in, in the north of England where um, we have what we call dry stone walls. So okay, the, yeah. all the walls between the fields are built of stone, but they're not cemented. They're, they're, they're cleverly built and they stay in place for years. And in Ireland, they had lots and lots of these dry stone walls, which to me are really familiar. But of course, to a reader from America, they probably aren't. Um, so right. yeah, the biggest surprise in Ireland was how like home it was. Yeah, it's interesting when you, when you travel, and I always... Um, Anybody who has the opportunity to do it, especially if you're younger and you can go to work study or, you know, exchange, I say take it because it just makes that lens of yours. Even if you think very broadly, you know, you know you're not the center of the universe or, you know, this is not the only town on the planet that, where you live, but that lens gets significantly wider on so many levels. And it's just, it's such a, it's, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's just, it's just enlightening, I guess, to see well, that how, many, how similar people live and then how differently people live. I think it's, it's, it's the age-old adage, isn't it, that uh, travel broadens mm-hmm. the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. that's one of my regrets that I have. I mean, I did live in New Zealand for a little while, but it was only six months. But my husband um, lived and worked in Germany, so he's fluent in Germany. We, we visit quite often. And um, but he really knows the people and the ways, the way of life. And New Zealand's quite like England. There's a lot of English people there. So my biggest mm-hmm. regret in life is is not living somewhere where the culture is very different from from where I've lived. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell me about your book that's coming out this year. So you have the cozy cottage in Ireland. Yes. Tell me about the story. Um, <laughs> so it's set in Dublin. And um, I don't know if you have this phrase in America or not, but we have one that says, for example, what happens in Dublin stays in Dublin. So if you go on holiday and you have a bit of a fling or you misbehave, it stays in Dublin. (laughs) So my heroine starts in in Dublin and she doesn't know anyone there. She's English. She's gone there. She's gone to learn to cook because her sister, who was in my previous book, is a brilliant cook. And um, there's a new lady started at work who's a fantastic cook. And, and Hannah is a brilliant lawyer. She's really organized. She's really plays everything safe. She doesn't take risks, but she can't cook. And she feels this is a massive flaw because how <laughs> hard can cooking be? So she right. signs up to go. She takes a sabbatical from work and she signs up to go to Ireland to this world's famous cookery school, Killagarry. And... Um, so before that's over in Kerry, which is the other side of Ireland on the on the west coast, and um, she takes a couple of days in Dublin before she heads out. 
And because what stays in what happens in Dublin stays in Dublin, she meets a very handsome Irishman called Connor and has a one night stand with him. And in the okay. morning, it's so unlike her. She she doesn't do that sort of thing normally. She creeps out and just walks away, but she leaves the shoe behind. Proper Cinderella. Um, oh, but she's okay. too embarrassed to see him in the morning. So she gets in her hire car and she travels across to the other side of Ireland um, to the cookery school. And there's a real mix, as, as in all my books, there's a real mixed community of different people who've come to the cookery school to cook for different reasons. And um, she thinks, oh, big mistake in Dublin, but it stays in Dublin. And of course, he turns right. up, doesn't he? Of and course. the rest of the story is about how they're going to fight their attraction because he doesn't um, mix with the guests at the, at the cookery school, which is run by his mother. And um, oh, it's wow. all about how uh, they get together. You just together put her in, in a really uncomfortable situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, um, yeah. I've, I had a lot of fun writing it. Um, that, that, that mortification because she's not the sort of person that has one night stands normally so she has no idea what the etiquette is when you wake up and she thinks I've just got to get out of here I've got to get away right. I've got to get so away she runs. This, is, this is not me <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so, so it's all about and, and how she kind of sorry. go ahead dear it's all about how she she she's stops stops um, being so safe and decides that actually life is worth living and you need to take a risk now and then to uh, to to be fulfilled of course yeah i mean it's it's there's nothing i would think there would be you know we all have our regrets but i mean if you can take that opportunity i mean obviously you don't want to get too nuts but i mean it yeah i think sitting on the sidelines forever is hard and um that urge to travel or move or see something else and so you've you've pushed that character out of her com- her comfort zone for sure um and that's that's comes out this september correct yes september the 29th on kindle okay and the paperbacks out in november okay and so for anybody listening you still have seven books to read before julie's <laughs> yes. newest book comes out so she's got you covered because you can travel to Copenhagen, Tokyo, Croatia, Brooklyn, the Northern Lights, and Switzerland in the meantime, and Paris. So, um, and it's, it is so fun to see, uh, like, the little patisserie in Paris, and you were talking about these different little places and showing, and, and my husband and I got to go to Paris about three years ago. Um, and uh, our daughter did an exchange program, and she was in Lyon. She was outside of Lyon um, in Aix-les-Bains, and she got to be there uh, with the 100th anniversary of uh, the end of World War One. And the oh, wow. um, local town, uh, they have a, a community um, a band, and she got to be there during this celebration, and she plays oboe. So they found her an oboe, and um, she had to bring her reeds, and she played. And she, she said that, you know, here she is 14, and I'm thinking, in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I just left my 14-year-old daughter in France. Bye-bye. Um, but uh, it's, it was huge because she came back just so excited about the world. And um, yeah, it's just that travel is just massive. So anybody listening, even if your kids can go stay with, you know, friends and their cousins or anybody in a different city, people you trust, obviously, please. Um, but it's, 
let them go and see and see a different place because it's so impressive. Although I'm sure parents that are listening are like, can I go somewhere else and leave my kids home so I can go travel? Um, I don't recommend leaving your kids by yourself. But if you can travel, please do so. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's just so much fun to see your different covers and these different places. And I have to ask, how much – when you got that first cover – for the Copen for Copenhagen, was it what you imagined, or was it? I mean, because your covers are great. Oh, do you know what it was? I still love that cover. I actually had a phone case made of the cover for my iPhone. Um, yeah. I, I it's been such a huge success for me, and and it really has been life changing. And I love all the covers. But I have to say, the new cover for Ireland is just dazzling it's absolutely beautiful so each one i think all um i like them even more but copenhagen will always be my favorite yeah i just just beautiful now you've gone to ireland now what is in the future i mean are you do you have it's it's book you know you have eight of eight books is that it are you going to do a new Mm. series are you going to continue to travel um there's, there's definitely one more because I'm under contract um, and I'm thinking possibly Sweden, but we're not allowed okay. to travel at the moment and I really would like to go to Stockholm. I've heard, I've been talking to some friends who've been, um, I'm currently quarantining at home because we went to Portugal and so we're not allowed okay. out of the house for 10 days. Um, but the, look, travel at the moment is looking really difficult, so... Um, I might have to speak to, I've, I've got a Swedish friend, so I might have to just pick her brains a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the plan is possibly Sweden. I'd love to set one in Edinburgh because that's one of my favorite cities in the whole world. Um, yeah. And I've, I've set up in Ireland um, for a character, to, for a book about her. But with my Jules Wake hat on, I've actually got a book coming out in August, which is set in World War Two. Okay. So that's a whole different sort of research, which has been fascinating right. as well. So tell me, how do you put the different hats on? Because, you know, there's a lot of people who write in different genres. You know, you have, uh, you're doing historical, and then you've got, um, you know, contemporary. So how do you divide that in your brain? Do you, do you divide, like, in the morning I write about this, in the afternoon I write about this, or are you going to finish this whole project and then I do this one? How does that how does that divide up? I, t- I tend to work on one project at a time um, because okay. the, both travel and um, the historical one, which is the only one I've ever written, um, are both very research heavy. And you quite often only realize what you don't know as you're actually writing. So I yes. have to break off and do the research while I'm writing because you'll think, oh, they're going to go there, but oh, how do they get the bus to there? And or... Um, how would they get there on the transport, what transport would they use, and you have to break off and go and research that on the internet or something. So it's quite time-consuming, the research, and you can't really do it up front. I mean, I do do some up front because I I think, oh, I want to include, like with the the Japanese book, there were certain uh, philosophies in Japanese that I wanted to incorporate, um, like the idea of kintsugi, which is where you mend things but still make them beautiful with the, the repair. Um, okay. So I have to focus on one project at a time. 
Um, which in an ideal world is what I do, but at any one time I'll be working on one book, but I might get the edits for another book or the copy edits. So I do have to jump around, but mainly I really absorb myself in one book and I tend to write very quickly. So I'll set myself um, a time frame of maybe two, three months where I will bash out a first draft as quickly as I can because I've got mm-hmm. to be in the moment with it all the time and I'll be obsessive about it. I'll be thinking about it morning, night, noon. Um, just right. to get the story down. Um, so yeah, I, re- I really need to focus on one project at a time. So tell me, you know, you, you'd been writing for a while and you've been with PR. What was the catalyst for you to sit down and say, you know what, I want to write a book? Because you've always loved books. But what was that catalyst that said, you know what, I think I want to write this? Um, I think that there were the two things. So one, I always said I always wanted to write a book. And, and, and when you're Living, I was living in London, and um, before I got married, you just life passes you by. I mean, the books never left me. I've always read, um, but it got to a point where we, it was before Kindles, and I was relying mm-hmm. on the library and bookshops and things. And I was running out of the kind of books I really like to read. I mean, I'm a big fan of American fiction, and they used to be the most mm-hmm. fantastic shop in London um, called uh, Murder One which had okay. rooms floor to ceiling with American romance authors. And that was the only place you could buy them in Britain. And so oh, I used wow. to go there and stock up. Oh, it was just wonderful. Um, but it, it meant that if I didn't go there, I was running out of the kind of books I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. And so that was one catalyst. I had an idea for a book that I wanted to read. And then the other thing was I was working in PR and I was made redundant. But they okay. gave me six months gardening leave, and I thought, right, six months, I'm going to write my book. Um, okay. So I set, I set up a, a, a writing room in, in the house, and I think my kids were at school then, so I could write while they were out at school. And I started writing this book, and um, it was absolutely brilliant. This book was just brilliant. And I sent the first three chapters off to my dad, who told me, I won't say what he really said, but he said it was rubbish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he told me, but he was a script writer, so he did know what he was talking about. And he told me all the reasons why it was rubbish. And I realized that although I knew how to read a book, and I understood story structure and that sort of thing and characters, I didn't know how to write a story. Um, oh, wow. And yeah. So I yeah. I, it, was a, it was a real shock to me that actually... I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I thought I could do it. but So I then signed up for um, a local uh, night school class at one of the, a local school. Okay. And it was only six weeks. And it was, it was called um, Writing for Profit or Pleasure. And um, okay. the guy that taught it really knew his stuff. And suddenly he talked about setting, he talked about characterization, he talked about dialogue, and he talked about show, not tell, the magic talisman that really is what makes a writer a better writer. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and then story structure, which I'm kind of intrinsically new. As a reader, I think you have a good understanding of story structure. But when you're actually putting it down, that you, you have to think about what you're doing. Um, so basically, I started again and learned to be a proper writer. Yeah, I mean, I think we all know, like you're saying, you know that intrinsically about why is the story working, why doesn't it work, right? So it's that, um, and, and we've all walked out of movies going, why didn't that work? 
you know, that story just didn't <laughs> work at all. Um, and, you know, my kids, I said, I'll sit down, I'll say, okay, so what was good about that? And we talk about these different things. And I knew that they actually listened to me when we were in the car driving somewhere. And in Texas, um, you know, driving several hours to something is nothing. I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. Um, so we had a DVD player in the car, and they were they were watching something. I It may have been Nemo or Finding Nemo, but – um, one of my kids yelled from the back, Mom, it's the dark moment. And I was like, oh, my God, they listened. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's it's one of those things like, okay, so why didn't this work? So, yeah, I mean, that natural storytelling, we I think we get it, but to write that, to make it work, is a totally different animal. And so, yeah, I mean, that's wonderful that your dad actually, I mean, I'm sure it was like, really, Dad? It's terrible. Um so, but to know the story structure is a big deal is, is so, I'm so glad you did because now we have all these books. I'm super excited. <laughs> so tell really me, um, talking about, yeah, oh, go ahead. So talking about your kids, cause my son's training to be an actor. So we, we on, on car journeys, taking him to university, we'll spend hours talking about character and character development and character arcs. So that's, right. that's been really interesting exploring it from a slightly different perspective but uh, sorry I interrupted you but I was just thinking no kids sometimes absorb a lot of stuff from us that we don't realize we've been telling them I know well and even you know I was our family's like obsessed with like superheroes marvel stuff and so it's fun (laughs) to sit down and say oh so here's the story arc and 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 I I've talked to my kids and I'm like man I can't even imagine being in the writing room when they were starting this whole thing and this planning this massive story arc over 22 movies, right? And so everybody has to have to pull that thread for each character to make sure it's true to the character. And it's like all these different things happening. And um, we've talked about how Pixar does it as well with their movies and, and, you know, they've pulled. And so now when we're watching these, like especially for Pixar, it's like, oh, my gosh, they, you know, they went a different direction than we anticipated. They threw us for a loop, and it fits, you know. And so we were – it's just – it's fun to watch it um, from that perspective. But my poor kids, you know, when they date, start dating, they're, they're whoever they're dating, they're going to be like, really? I just didn't like the movie, you know. So <laughs> they're like, no, the story arc. The beats didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> my son's prerequisite for every girlfriend is, is they have to sit through all the Marvel movies to start with yeah. so that he can talk yeah. about them. All of them. We can have conversations. All of yes, them. it's important. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to ask you, if you were approached by who your your dream director or producer and they said we want to make um your book your book series come come to life who would play Katie? Who would play Kate Sinclair in your first book, Actor Wife? Oh, I'm a huge Kerry Mulligan fan, mm-hmm. so it would probably have to be Kerry Mulligan because I just think she's uh, brilliant. She's fun. I she's love a lot her. Of fun. She's played some really interesting roles. Yeah, she has. Oh, she's in a new one which I haven't seen. Oh yeah, I can't think what the film's called. But it, it looks a really interesting part where she she's um, playing um, a woman who leads men on and then gets revenge on them. I can't think what it's called. It's been quite... Oh, it's a, ni- oh. a nice young woman or... Um, Something like that, uh, yes. Yeah. Is she a young woman? Yeah. 
yeah. So, but, but I, yeah. I think she's a brilliant actress. So, very intense. Yes. <laughs> so you want to write in Scandinavia? Is there? Um, I mean, do you have a list? If if you if they said you can write as many of these books as you want, um, where else would you write about? Well, I was in Vietnam. Uh, I'm trying to think when the the sort of COVID outbreak started, and we actually had to come home early. So it was about March 2020, and I would okay. love to write about Vietnam because I actually adored the country. Um, I really did. Um, I'd like to write about Scotland. I'd like to write about Canada. Um, I'd quite like to go to some of the Latin American countries. I'd, uh-huh. I'd love to go to Cuba. Um, so the list just gets longer and longer, really. Um, I, I suppose it depends on how long the readers want to keep reading them. Do I have right. to stop at some point? I don't know. I need I, My editor and I keep umming and ahhing about it, but I definitely want to write one in Scotland. Right, and then um, uh, Sweden. Well, Sweden will be possibly next, but it just depends on travel plans because sure. I can't get there. It's very difficult to get that authenticity. It, I mean, right. With something like Paris, that's quite easy because um, I've spent a lot of time in France. I've been to right. Paris numerous times. So that was, I mean, we did go on a research trip and I visited all of those patisseries, I promise you. And um, <laughs> It's all about the research. Oh, <laughs> Oh, it's tough, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> All right. Um, but but it, it makes such a difference when you go to the country and just unpick below below the surface. And so, yeah, um, I mean, Scotland's easy. I've got Scottish relatives. I absolutely adore going to Scotland. We go to Edinburgh every year. Um, mm-hmm. I love the Highlands. Um, real passion for Scotland. So that would be a really easy one to write. But um, whether someone wants to come back to sort of uh, this area of the world, so close mm-hmm. after Ireland, I'm not sure. So the world's my yeah, that, basically. Yeah, I mean that. That I know. I, I remember taking class years ago, and someone was saying you could you could write about other places in the world because of you know the internet, and you could look up stuff and TripAdvisor, um, and all that's valid. Um, but there is an authenticity of standing in a patisserie or a bakery or standing outside in the morning and hearing the noises, like the ambient noises of the city waking up or the way that your feet sound when they're walking down the different types of streets. Um, or, I mean, the, the, the aromas coming from the different uh, cafes or, or even the cigarettes of someone who's smoking near you. Um, it, it's that all of those sensories are just layer in for that authenticity yeah yeah for me and and things people say too yeah um i mean when i went to croatia one of the things that stands out for me is the clarity of the sea and the warmth Mm. and the colors and you just would never have got that by just researching it on the internet you just you just wouldn't and it's something that is even now is such a special part of that country for me um, and and I would I would never have known that if I hadn't actually been there. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you just and so you know, word to the wise, everybody, travel when you can. Be safe. Obviously, we live in a very different <laughs> world than a couple of years ago. But um, even just read, you know, just get that brain open and and start your list of travel because there's 
amazing places to go. So, yeah, I'm so excited you got to come talk to us today. <laughs> I'm so excited to have finally we we talked about this several years ago. It's taken us a while we to did. get around to it, but it's lovely to talk to you. Well, I'm just you know I, I saw this great thing on Twitter the other day. It said um, readers support. There was a comment about people supporting each other for who are friends who write books. Um, yeah. But the the also part the other part of that when you're in a writing community is yes you buy the books and then you try to become the reader's friend because you enjoy the book so much. So I'm I'm very excited to get to talk to you because it's like and there are my book there are your books on my shelf. So <laughs> it's, it's so much fun. I think you've got a wonderful job just talking to uh, authors about books all the time. It must be heaven. It is. I love it. And I can do it from home. And, and it makes – it just – it's cool to be able to – I call myself a book pimp because I just basically start just like <laughs> throwing books everywhere and telling people you should read this. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. A lot of people really love to read, and, and especially in the last year and a half. So it's been it's been um, a wonderful gig to have to to get to talk and brag about all sorts of books and people. So you know I'll do it as long as you let me. <laughs> well, I I, um, I love talking about books and, and authors that I've enjoyed and sharing. I mean I'm really fortunate. Uh, locally, there's another writer, and we both love the same sort of books. So we're always recommending to each other things that we've read, which is and and also on Twitter with other 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 writers. Everybody in our sort of romance genre loves to share our books. So I've got a huge to-be-read pile of uh, wonderful-looking books. Oh, yeah, me too. So it's, uh, I've added another one yet because I've got the pre-order going. So, uh, so if you want um, the, the latest book from Julie, it will be out in September. But in the meantime, you've got seven books to read before. Um, so go ahead and get on that if you have it. Uh, so thank you again for coming today, Julie. I really appreciate you. Oh, I've really enjoyed talking to you, Patricia, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Please do come back and talk to us again. That would be lovely, and I hope you're having a lovely day over there in Texas. We will. I will uh, do my very best. So this has been Patricia <laughs> W. Fisher with Readers Entertainment Radio talking to best-selling author Julie Kaplan. Her book, The Little Swiss Ski Chalet, is out now, and her next book will be out in September. So get to reading, everybody, and please stay safe. This show brought to you by Circle of Seven Productions, www.cosproductions.com. Please be sure to subscribe, and welcome to our circle. 